This is WCNY's The Capitol Press Room, and we're checking in with State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli, whose office recently put together an analysis of the governor's budget proposal. Welcome back to the show, Comptroller. Dave, it's always great to be back with you. Well, it's our pleasure to have you. So before we get to the official budget report, um, I want to talk to you as kind of a political animal with your own values and ideology. And from that perspective, I'm curious what, if anything, stands out to you from the governor's proposed taxing and spending plan. Given the uncertainty that still is out there as far as the economy and the reality of the the federal relief money that came as part of the COVID uh, response to COVID and that money being spent down and the reality of unanticipated expenses, for example, the cost of asylum seekers and the migrant costs, I think the governor has put forward a more modest budget proposal in terms of increases that we've seen in, in more recent budget proposals. But I think that's reflective of the times that we're going through. The governor sets the broad parameters, makes certain choices on spending priorities, and the legislature, no doubt, will have some different opinions on some of that. You're already seeing you know, pushback in a few areas. So the overall context, I, I think the governor set the right tone in terms of saying we have to be prepared for uh, more challenging times in terms of government revenue based on the economic realities and some of the unanticipated expenses. Uh, but, you know, that's really just the jumping off point for what I'm sure will be uh, pretty serious negotiations from now until uh, hopefully April 1st. So that answer is more in the controller, fiscal, prudent vein, and we can get into that. But I mean, as a Long Island Democrat who's been in this game for 30-plus years at this point, did anything stand out to you, whether it was a policy, maybe it's the governor's housing push, maybe it is a commitment to childcare funding or something else in this budget that stood out to you? Or? Well, I think, I think she continued the priorities, and you touched on some of them, certainly childcare, mental health services. I think this governor has made clear that the issue of, of the crisis of mental health we have in many parts of our state and the connection of that to homelessness is one that we must do a better job in terms of providing resources. I think on the housing front, uh, certainly from a non-New York City perspective, right, where many of the local governments outside of New York City were very concerned about the proposals last year, I think the governor uh, made a tactical move away from mandating housing and instead providing incentives and the notion of having communities commit to being pro-housing and then to uh, incentivize through greater priority for state spending for those pro-housing communities makes sense. So I think it was a smart pivot on her part uh, to do that. Look, I I think like any budget, it's never embraced by everybody on, on, on first blush. I think the parameters she set made sense. Do I think we may go back to the days of, you know, the final piece being the uh, negotiation over school aid? Very possibly. I think the decision to change some of the formula calculation on foundation aid uh, and eliminating uh, save harmless or hold harmless, whichever label you want to give it, I think that'll be a very contentious issue at a time when we are giving more money to public education to have some school districts now end up with less. I think that's going to be very hard for legislators to go home in an election year uh, with that as an end result. So I think I think there's still a, a long way to go on this budget, but I, but I think the overall parameters, you know, I, I think it made sense. 
Well, thank you for engaging with me on that question. But uh, we'll turn now to your official uh, capacity as state controller. Uh, you put out a report noting that the structural gaps in the state's finances are only going to get worse in the next few years based on uh, the numbers from the Division of Budget. So uh, as you mentioned, the governor is looking to control spending in this budget given the uncertainty moving forward. But would you advise the governor to tamp down even more on the spending side of her budget to proactively address those out-year gaps that are a product of escalating growth? You deal with the gaps in a couple of ways. One way is to have less spending. Another way is to increase revenue. The third way, which is the one that we're always very concerned about, is you borrow more money so you don't have to cut spending uh, or raise taxes. I think the governor put forward a realistic budget for the coming year in the sense that it's in balance, but it does acknowledge that there are out-year budget gaps. The out-year budget gaps are, are less than we thought they would have been a few months ago, but they are still there. So the extent to which, as the legislature completes this budget process, I think it's very important that the budget not only be balanced for the coming year, but that we not encumber future budgets to the point that the out-year budget gaps could grow. We, we know that the budget gaps are projections, right? Meaning they could get larger, they could they could be less. And so much of this is tied to where this economy is at, where will inflation be at, where will um, uh, interest rates be at, what will the Fed do? So there's always going to be some uncertainty. Uh, what I always worry about, though, is that decisions will be made that will make the current gaps that we're projecting even larger. And, and, and that you do that by making spending commitments that may not fully come into effect in the coming year, but in fact kick in in full force in two years from now, three years from now. And that's been the, the bad pattern. You go, you go back to the pre-COVID years when we always had these huge uh, out-year budget gaps because we encumbered especially some new programs in later budget years, and that's what created these gaps. I hope we avoid that uh, pitfall. The other piece I always say, Dave, especially when you look at look, the two big expense areas are, are education and, and health care, right? School aid and, and Medicaid program. My office continually puts forward audits on the Medicaid program that identifies literally hundreds of millions of dollars worth of savings opportunities without hurting people who are getting the services, you know, really not spending cuts, but being smarter and more efficient in how we're spending the money. Unfortunately, very often when we go back into a follow-up audit, our recommendations aren't fully implemented. So I think the other thing that we need to do, which is in a way separate from a budget negotiation, is be smarter about how we're spending the money that's in the budget. There are ways to save money in our state without cutting programs, without raising taxes, without hurting people. Well, before we move on to continue our exploration of the governor's budget, let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. We're speaking with State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli. And I want to ask one more question on those out-year budget gaps. Are you comfortable with what is being projected, or do you think more needs to be done right now, either on the revenue side or the spending side? When you think about the situation we're setting ourselves up for, are we creating a manageable problem in the future, or, or should we be more proactive about it? Well, when you're talking about you know the out years of the financial plan, a you know, $20 billion cumulative gap, versus a budget of $233 billion, it's manageable, right? And again, because you know, we're all hopeful that the economy will continue to be strong and stronger, right? The recession everybody had been projecting for I don't know how many years now doesn't seem to be happening. There's so much uncertainty because of the geopolitical situation globally. 
the politics in this country right now, what will be the outcome, who will control Congress, who will control the White House, what will be the implications on, on the economy based on those changes that may or may not happen. I mean, I think, I think that's where there's just so much uncertainty. So there's, there's a certain limit on how much you could do, given the uncertainty that's out there. So I think the main thing is make sure the coming year's budget is in balance. Make sure we don't do anything to grow those out-year gaps. If there's something you could do to reduce those gaps right now, whether that's smarter spending or less spending in certain categories, uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, I'm always one to say last resort you know, should be uh, raising revenue because, as you know, we've been reporting of net loss of taxpayers, particularly those who pay a big part of the of the personal income tax. So we have to be mindful of of any impact on raising revenue on taxpayer migration out of the state. Even absolute worst resort beyond raising taxes, getting into greater debt. You know, New York already has one of the highest debt burdens in the in the country. That's a disadvantage for us, especially should there be an economic downturn at some point. So those are the factors I would be mindful of if I was still sitting in the legislature contemplating these issues. Well, pivoting to another favorite recurring issue, Governor Hochul has continued a trend of her predecessor, which is to try to circumvent your office's oversight as much as possible on contracting and spending. Does this budget include any new pots of funding that would be removed from your traditional authority? Yeah, it's kind of you know what we've seen before. Various procurements uh, have been carved out, if you will, from our oversight, and, and that's obviously uh, a great concern that uh, we have. We, number one, believe competition is the best way to get best value. And uh, if you carve out certain contracts from competition and on top of it carve out the independent review from the controller's office, you know, there's no guarantee you get the kind of, of best value that, you know, that there should be. So I would say that while it's disappointing, it's not surprising. This is a trend we've seen not just with this administration, but with prior administrations as well. As always, we hope the legislature will um, reject those carve-outs. We'll see what will happen by the end. And finally, we're speaking about uh, 14 hours after the legislature introduced uh, new congressional maps that they're supposed to consider at some point this week. Uh, On Long Island, your neck of the woods, Democrats now, as a result of a special election, control one out of four seats. Thinking again as a political animal, do you think that the legislature has done enough in terms of their efforts to gerrymander that area of Long Island to grow the Democratic majority on Long Island? Or do you think that the four seats there could all be pretty competitive in November? It's an interesting way you phrase the question. Um, have they done enough? Look, I haven't looked at the new maps. You know, I gather from the press reports that uh, the third CD, the one that I live in and, and the one that is no longer represented by George Santos and now Tom Swazi, uh, is made better in this current iteration of the maps. This is the first time that I can remember in so many years up until the Swazi special election that we haven't had a Democratic seat out of the Nassau and Suffolk County congressional district. So I certainly think that when you reflect upon the significant growth in Democratic enrollment on Long Island, certainly any fair redistricting would certainly be one that would not have a shutout of of Democrats from all the seats. My guess is that Long Island and the Hudson Valley will be the most competitive parts of the state as far as the congressional races, no matter what the maps say. And I think much will depend on um, what the trends will be in the presidential race. So I, I think New York was the state that 
gave the Republicans the majority last go around. Could also be the state this go around, where we get the majority back for the Democrats. And if that results in Hakeem Jeffries from Brooklyn being the speaker, I think that will be a good outcome for the people of New York State, whether Republicans or Democrats. We've been speaking with State Controller Tom DiNapoli. Controller DiNapoli, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information.